Welcome to Elements of Community, a podcast about discovering and exploring the elements of community. I am Lucas Root, and each week we talk with a community leader about what makes their community thrive and bring value to both the leaders and the members. Join me as we unpack the magic of the elements of community. Beth, thank you for joining me. I've had the delightful opportunity to get to know you a little bit over the past couple of weeks through the ecstatic group that we're playing in. And then yesterday, actually, and of course our audience doesn't know what yesterday is, but yesterday for you and me, I got to really experience some of your, what I'm going to call epic grandmother energy. And we're going to come back around to that because as I mentioned in the green room before the show, I'm going to surprise you and that's going to be a piece of that surprise. Okay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for the benefit of our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Well, we talked a little bit about me, you know, sharing about my banking history. That's what kind of got me doing this deep dive into the consciousness studies that I've been down the rabbit hole for, you know, the last 23 years, really, really intensely, I'll say it that way. So the journey started with the bank coming in one day. I'd been taking classes to get my personal financial planning designation at the Royal Bank. And the manager came in one day and said, you know, we're really sorry, but you know, are we not making enough money this year? So, you know, one person in your department's gonna have to go. And as I shared with you before, my husband and I had gotten together. He was traveling and in engineering. And so we'd always said someday we'd like to travel. And, you know, in the 19 years we'd been married up to that point, this was 1999 when all this took place, we hadn't really had any opportunities to travel. So one of the ladies that was in the department, her husband had just been laid off of his job and the other lady her husband had just taken a commission sales job so they were both kind of support for their family and my heart just told me you need to be the one to take the package and it wasn't an easy decision I mean I'd been studying classes to get my designation and you know I was finally getting to what I thought was the peak of my career beginning and you know it wasn't an easy decision but it was really my heart said you need to be the one and so I went in on Wednesday and said I'll take the package because my income was second, right? I wasn't the sole support for our family. My husband's was, right? I was definitely the extra income. So I went in on Wednesday and said, yes, I'll take the package. And then on Friday, that same week, my husband came home and said, you'll never guess, hon, I just got offered six weeks in Venezuela. So something that we wanted for 19 years showed up two days after me making this decision that didn't make sense on any level other than heart-based, right? And then that happened. And that led to a bunch of other things, right? So it's been step by step. The adventure has begun. The adventure began, yeah. So we did, we went to Venezuela and we spent nine months there had all kinds of interesting things happen that our dishwasher blew up and flooded the house and so we had to talk. I had to come home and make repairs to the house and you know 
Our daughter was in the last year at high school, so a cousin of my husband's was staying with us because he was working in Calgary. So he had agreed to, because it was only six weeks, right? We were only going to be gone for six weeks initially. So Norman had said, well, I'll stay, you know, because I'm here anyways. And the kids didn't have to get out of school because, like I said, our daughter was in her last year at high school. Our son was in grade eight. And, you know, that was the way it was going to go. And then as it dragged on longer, we found out that, you know, things weren't really being managed well at home as I thought they were. And so I ended up taking Jonathan with us to Venezuela and homeschooling him there. And he still talks about it. He says, Mom, he says, I was on the honor roll. Like you were my teacher and you were, he still talks about, that was the only time I was ever on the honor roll. And it was wonderful to spend that time with him and exploring Venezuela, which when I landed in Venezuela, it was like this amazing tropical place. And yet there was so much contrast. There was the contrast of, you know, the people that most of the people that are there don't have really great paying jobs, right? Even though Venezuela is an oil rich country. And I had my first kind of psychic experience while we were there. Um, oh, cool. My husband was booked to come home on the 23rd of December for Christmas break. And my son and I were supposed to leave. I can't remember the exact dates, but we were supposed to leave just a few days before that. And I had this dream that there was something that was going to happen that was going to delay Dave and he wasn't going to get home for Christmas. And so I said to him, I said, honey, is there any way you can change? And what it was, was I had dreamed that there was like some major catastrophe. And that actually was the night of the elections with Hugo Chavez. There was a terrible mudslide that happened in Venezuela in 1999. And it did delay Dave, you know, the 50,000 or more people died during that event. And I actually had dreamed about it, you know, 10 days before it actually happened. So to me, I had a lot of guilt around that. But even if I could have shared it with someone, who would have believed me? Like, do you know what I mean? Even if I'd have said something, if I'd had the power to say, you know, I had this precognitive and it wouldn't have mattered. So I had to deal with a little bit of that, you know, what if, you know, done something with it, but that, yeah, it just, <laughs> life happens, right? We do the best we can with what we have while we're there. So, so anyway, I, yeah. I like to talk about what starts to happen in your life when you free yourself in your mind. And there are several different things that people need to have in place to be free. They need security, but it's not the security that we think you need. You don't need a shotgun and a hard wall. The, the irony, and this is part of what I'm talking about here on this show, the irony is that the security we actually need is we need six people that have our back all the time, no matter what. And once we have those six people, we actually don't need, you know, a, a castle wall and a shotgun. We already achieved security. And once you have that freedom in your mind, you start to expand. You expand into who you might be instead of who you have to be, but you expand into who you might be. An amazing frame shift, right? Yeah. Who I might be instead of who I have to be. You had an opportunity to start freeing your mind and to start expanding into who you might be. Where did that take you? Well, it's almost like a magical journey that's unfolded and not all of it's been easy. I mean, there's been times, but it's... No it's magical journey is easy. Come on. Yeah, step by step, you make the best decision you can in any given moment. And the choices that open to you are based on who you are being 
at that time, right? They're based、mm-hmm. on your beingness, and so you can't make choices that are outside of your beingness, right? If you're a person who's we're, we're going to say that if the choices that are available to you are based on who you are being in the moment, that's that, true.、Hmm, that was brilliant. Thank you. Please continue. <laughs> anyway, so. It's sort of a, this journey that you just keep walking, right? And so, after we got home from Venezuela and had that, you know, we went and saw the Aruba Islands. My son and my husband got certified by the scuba divers. We had some amazing dive adventures. It was an incredible time, right? We brought our daughter down and went to Trinidad and Tobago, and she was there for her 18th birthday. And so it was. Really, really a blessing, and on so many different fronts that we were able to have that time, and you know, it just travel is such an amazing opportunity to understand so much more about our beautiful Earth Mother Gaia, you know, and the people that are in the different areas. You know, I think most of the people on the planet are very giving, caring, loving, and really want what's best for others. I really feel that way. There's a small segment of society that's very greedy and not very heart-centered, and you know, that we contend with. But I think that as we advance our own consciousness, I think that group is going to shrink smaller and smaller and smaller. And I we have think a, we have a language challenge in English that I think gets solved really beautifully in some other languages. In English, you say "I am cold," "I am hungry," and so just through your language, because when we speak, it's magic. We're casting spells every word that comes out of our mouth, whether you realize it or not. So when you say "I am cold," you're actually becoming cold. You're taking cold into your personality. It's part of who you are in that moment. Talking about beingness, I am hungry. So I would like to invite us, you, me, everyone, listeners. I would like to invite us to consider that language challenge in the context of other languages. So, in Romance languages, instead of saying "I am hungry," they say "I have hunger." How how does that change the world when applied to things like greed? Rather than saying somebody is greedy, what if we say they have greed? Yeah. Now it's something that they can release, and now it's not a person. It's not a thing. Not that's not a part of who they are. Rather, it's just something that they happen to be carrying for the moment. We can let that go. So now that small segment of population that you're talking about, they can just not have greed anymore if we open up the pathway to something different. Whereas if they are greedy, boy, that's a whole lot harder to solve. And it's solvable by just changing ourselves, right? And how we choose to look. Like all the change that we can do is only within us. We cannot change other people. The only change that we can actually effectively make is within our own beingness. And how we choose to respond to all of the inputs that are happening around us. And the more we open up to our own intuitive gifts, and we open up to being part of the community of man, <laughs> if you want to call it that, or you know, then that is what allows the other person to feel safe enough to maybe create some shifts for themselves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not, but maybe that starts with language. Maybe that starts by releasing yourself from "I am greedy" and stepping into "I have greed." 
And we all have uncertainty. I mean, we all have a lot of aspects of us that are not pleasant to look at. And, you know, we do the best we can with what we've got, really. And each of us is on this amazing journey. But together, we all create everything that's around us. It's not a one-person thing, right? And I watched some interesting video where the lady talked about her being behind Barack Obama's campaign and her saying um, it was at church and I kind of watched that and I thought that was really interesting that you know she could just this one person could make such a change for someone who was quite famous and did you know but she was part of that you know helping him to get his vision sort of you know interesting so that is interesting it's little stuff, right? And each of us has those moments, right? Where we interact with people, where you can just hold space for them to feel safe, right? And like you're talking about when you know the six people that you have, you know, if you've got six people that creates that freedom. So if you have that that feeling of backing, like, okay, now I can step out of my comfort zone because I don't have to make sure that all of my needs are going to be met because I got five other people that have my back that are going to help me with that if I do stumble, if I step a little bit outside of my comfort zone. So that gives you that feeling of safety and security where you can move and maybe become even broader, right? Even expand yourself a little bit more, right? And I'm one of those people who gets ideas and they just like, have, have you ever done Wim Hof breathing stuff where you, you start breathing and yeah. So I look at that, like when we start doing deep breathing, our body starts to respond differently to normal shallow breath that we most of us do versus that deep breathing and that feeling of expansion and like you can actually probably feel your energy get bigger even when you're in that breath <laughs> of expansion right so and interesting stuff with dowsing rods you can actually check out people's energy fields with them and you can intend for your energy field to expand or you can bring it in closer to you and it's actually palpably feelable or you know measurable with these with these dowsing rod tools we've played with that a bit and it's fascinating all this stuff <laughs> fascinating but back to the class we shared yesterday, I'll just, it's called the Awakening Workshop. And it's a one day thing with the Monroe Institute that I've been teaching the classes, the outreach classes with them since 2010. And I've done lots of them and I love sharing them with people. And I felt so grateful to have you in the class and thank you for this invitation to be on your podcast today. So. You know, it's amazing how things work and how you step through different doorways and you just see what happens and you'd be surprised. <laughs> it was a lovely experience for anyone who's even considering it. So while we were warming up, you said something and I want to grab on that because that's where the surprise comes in. You said, I have gotten to the point where I feel called to share all of the things that I've accumulated. And I've been asking for some way of getting out there a little bit more or a way of sharing because I have been on this deep dive down the rabbit hole of consciousness for 20 plus years. And I know now when I first started down this, I mean, you had to be really careful who you spoke to about some of the things that have occurred because people would be like, 
no, 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 you know, and now there's much <laughs> Come more on. openness. That, that's that's not what humans do. <laughs> and there's much more openness to understanding that, you know, what one person might call, you know, the greater consciousness, another person may choose to call God. And another person may choose to call Allah, and another person may choose to call whatever term they want to use, but it doesn't change the beingness of, like you and I were talking in the green room about, you know, Gaia, the physical body of Mother Earth you feel is different. And it's the similar thing, right? It's like when you make this connection with that part of us that we're all part of, and you start to live your life from that place of saying, okay, I get it. I know that I am here being a, an individuated unit of consciousness. And I'm also part of this greater whole and you are part of me too, right? And you see that, right? And when you start to look at the other people that you interact with, that you're another me that's had whole different life experience set and past life experience sets but you're still me you're still you're still that and it's just so opening it's and you can hold space for people so much more <laughs> yes and oh without judgment without needing to put a label on it without having to even you know a rose by any other name right would it still smell the same yes <laughs> you still have all of those traits but whatever you call it right it doesn't change what it is whatever name or label you want to put on it still doesn't change what that is you're saying that you don't care what you call a rose you still like how it smells yeah. And it still has thorns too. If you, you know, try and grab it or, you know, I mean, it has its protection as well. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I get it. So here's the surprise. So I've yeah. been, and if you go back to, I think episode 29, for those of you who are listening, I've been playing with this idea called the grandmother theory. Now, there are a couple of grandmother theories that are floating out. And with all due respect to the people who have written them, I think they're all wrong. The real grandmother theory is mine. <laughs> you all can take a moment and laugh at me. It's okay. My grandmother theory is this. The purpose and that, you know, we humans are amazing and there really is not an accident in there. So there has to be a purpose to menopause. Mm -hmm. The purpose to menopause is in service to the individual and the tribe. It's not to protect you from dying in childbirth. That's not the way nature works. Rather, it's because you've gotten to a point where your brilliance is so important and so valuable and so meaningful to the tribe and to yourself that your higher calling is now to bring that brilliance to bear, to offer your accumulated wisdom back to the tribe back to your community. And it was amazing for me to hear you actually say exactly those words in your own language, of course. I'm feeling called to share what I've learned. 
And there, thank you for that that beautiful compliment because there is a relationship that I didn't understand when my mom had with my children. You know, there is a relationship that you have with your grandchildren that is so unconditional and so rich and so beautiful that you can't have that relationship with your children until you're mature enough to be in the grandmother energy, right? It's like that is a whole different playing field. It's a different level. It's wisdom and caring and knowing that they're going to be the beings that they were created to be whether you'd like to have them different or not they came here with a purpose they came here with a vision and they came here with gifts and you can either hinder them or you can assist them and i want to be the kind of grandma that assists and helps and holds space and says you know what baby if that's what you want to do how can i help you get there how can i help you shine your light into the world in such a way that you feel seen and you feel heard and you feel loved and you feel valued beautiful <laughs> more of that <laughs> so um. how do you feel like that you know where someone can come up to you and say okay you're this amazing whole purposeful being but there's something within you that you might not be really happy about or that you might really feel that is the best version that could be how could i hold space for you until you're ready to walk into that that's the person that i want to be right that's the person that i want to be for you is can i hold space for you to walk into all the places where you feel not really comfortable yet or not really you know like i'm not really certain how could i hold that space for you until you feel confident and ready to say all right now i'm going to take my first step i'm going to do what that's the magic of the grandmother right there <laughs> wow mm, thank you beth thank you for demonstrating that holy crap that was amazing now grandmother isn't just to your children and your grandchildren. No. When a woman steps into grandmother, she opens her arms to a lot more than just her progeny. Yes. Tell me about that. I have a wonderful friend. Her name is Cheryl Shannon Grey Eyes and she exhibits Kukum is the name the the Cree name for grandmother, right? Mm -hmm. And so she exhibits that so beautifully and I just watch her as she walks into that for her community and she's just absolutely the embodiment of grandmother energy to me too and that's kind of the role model of if you want to have that you know like all the children come and i remember when i was a teenager i would love to read stories to the kids right like i'd go and you know go into the grade school i was a little but I'd go into the grade school and I'd read the stories and the kids I mean change the voice and really get into the character I mean I had dreams and visions of being an actress but that never materialized so I got to do that when I was reading stories to the younger kids and it gave the teacher a break and I loved you know when I was growing up the school we had like you know you could go from grade you know 7 down to the you know the grade 1s and you could go and do that so yeah 
anyway, that was kind of my first thought about, you know, getting the kids to be part of the story, right? You could include them in it and they got to fully be present in it. And that's what the grandmother holds is getting the tribe together and saying, okay, you know, where are we going next? How are we going to grow? How are we going to, you know, and her wisdom can say, well, you know, when I was a young girl, we tried that and it didn't work. And these are the reasons why. So if you could overcome those things, then maybe it might work this time, right? So that wisdom that the grandmother carries is also very valuable. <laughs> yeah, all of that. <laughs> I need to meet Sherry. Yeah. Yes, my friend Sherry, we were talking about her before. My friend Sherry, she's a master theta healer in Glastonbury, England. And I went there in 2019 to take a workshop with Tom Campbell, who's one of my mentors. And I ended up teaching at the spoon bending workshop in Glastonbury with Sherry. And we have a really supportive group, Sherry and myself and another lady named Maria that we just get together and we hold that space for each other. And it's been beautiful to, you know, just to see and to watch that change. And yeah. Yeah. Are there communities that you get to play grandmother in right now? I do have a community that I have my Tuesday night meditation group, which I do on Zoom. I've been doing that for four years. It started, you know, over COVID and we've just been meeting virtually. So I invite people to come on Tuesday nights and meditate together with our group. And we do have a really lovely community where, you know, we do miss people that have contributed to their stories and the, the amount of knowledge that's in the room sometimes is amazing. So it's really a lovely, a lovely place to come. If you ever have a couple hours on a Tuesday night, I invite you to come and join us. Some yeah. Tuesday nights, I have hours for that. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. And how does your grandmother energy show up in that group? Basically, just because I hold the space, right? I hold the space for the people to come into the room and to be present in whatever way is comfortable for them. Some people, it's not comfortable to share right away. And that's okay, I can hold the space for that. And other people, it's, you know, they love to be able to share. And there's a lot of, of people that, you know, will share occasionally and then, you know, might not for a, a week or two. And it's all purposeful and some weeks we have amazing conversations that we hang around you know till after eight o'clock talking and then there's other weeks where we end at 7 15 and it's all fine you know it's whatever works for the group so we talked about the elements of community of course in the green room before the show and yes. can you talk to me about which of the elements really shows up in that in your tuesday night meditation community and how that really makes it come together as a community I think the common language, you know, in the spiritual work, there's some things that you start to talk about. And so you have the common language, like out of body experiences, right? We all kind of know what that feels like and sort of what it means or, you know, getting to that state of, hang on, you know, hang on. Yeah. That's really cool. Yes. <laughs> I think it's worth actually spending a minute just talking about how, when somebody says an out of body experience and that has meaning inside your community. Can you go deeper into that? Sure. And the thing is, our consciousness let's, is let's, not really... Let's remember that not all of our audience has had an out-of-body experience. 
not that they may be aware of, but in the dream you state, you're having that connection and you're processing data that your consciousness has taken in, in a way that allows you to, some people remember their dreams, some people don't, but your consciousness is processing the data that's accumulated and it's creating opportunities for you to experience things in a different frame of consciousness or a different level of consciousness problems can be solved. I don't know who it was that said trying to solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that it was created at is impossible. I don't know who famously said that, but they're right. You do need to have someone else that's not inside the problem come in and say, okay, I can see it from a different perspective. I can see it from a different angle. And have you tried this or have you tried that? So that's where it's really, really helpful to have communities where you can go and say, I've been experiencing this. How did you overcome it? How did you? And out of body is, there's, how do I even explain? Your consciousness is not actually hundred percent present even in your body right your consciousness is what holds your field of your body together it holds all the molecules that make us these individuals together it holds the field and so within that field the consciousness isn't it's not stuck there it's not like you have to get out of you're already you, you just have to become aware of expanding into a place that you're not used to, that you may not be well versed in. It's like taking someone who's grown up in New York City and taking them by plane and dropping them in the outback of Australia and saying, here, now go survive. <laughs> if they lived their whole life in New York City where you go around the corner and there's, you know, whatever, right? And then all of a sudden they're in this vast place and you know, the people that have grown up there have no problem. They can read the signs, they can find water, they, but someone from New York isn't going to be able to do that. And vice versa, if you take someone who's lived their entire life in the outback of Australia and drop them in the middle of New York City, they're going to be lost. They can't see the horizon. None of their normal signposts are available. Yeah. It's laughable. <laughs> and traveling in that state of consciousness, it requires you to be able to stay focused long enough to stay in it. And that's always my challenge is because my, my gift is being able to pull in lots of disparate information pieces and make a piece out of them. So staying focused is not one of my wonderful gifts. <laughs> so it's not as easy for me to, but it's very easy for me to shift my consciousness and just go someplace. But I'm still also very aware and very present that I still have a physical form. So my out of body is different than, for instance, how Bob Monroe described it in his books and how other people have experienced their out of body. So, and we can't judge that just because mine wasn't exactly like theirs, well, mine's not valid. That's the question, isn't it? <laughs>
<laughs> so I know there are a lot of people that are really hesitant to share some of their stories because they're unique for them, right? That, you know, we all have these amazing experiences that happen to us, but they're not the norm. I've had incredible, when I was at the Monroe Institute and taking guidelines, I went into the lab and they have the sound and the headphones and I got taken out and out where I could actually feel the molecules of my body expanding until I was so immense that I was actually holding Mother Earth between two hands, my two hands. And in that state, I asked, I said, I have this incredible opportunity. How could I send a wave of love onto the planet so everybody could feel loved and valued and appreciated? And the answer, and forgive me if I cry because it was so, how can we show you how much we love you? That was, you know, and that's the magnitude of the consciousness that we are all part of. How can I show you how much I love you? And we create with our thoughts, right? We tell that loving consciousness that we are all part of what we want by what we spend the majority of our time thinking about. So if we're thinking about, you know, what we're not and, you know, all of the places where we have been taught to think we're broken, we're not. Diamonds are massively beautiful because they have flaws, because they have a crack or a piece of something in them. That's what gives them their brilliance. That's what makes them sparkle and reflect light like they do. We would never say, right, that's not beautiful, but yet yeah. we do to ourselves. So. <laughs> So let me tell a little story. So yesterday, we're in the middle of this awakening, consciousness awakening experience led by you, Beth. And we went away for lunch and the fire alarm in my building went off during lunch. And so I had to go outside and that means I wasn't cooking my lunch and I didn't have something prepared. So I come back and there's only 15 minutes left and I cook some lunch. And that also means that cooking lunch and also eating it takes more than the 15 minutes that I had. So I'm sitting here in front of you, eating some lunch. Now, you know, I'm not holding the plate up to the screen and shoveling into my face. It wasn't an in-your-face experience. The reason I'm sharing this is because this is amazing. <laughs> you, without asking, Beth, you led the group into a conversation that took eight minutes, which was how much time I needed to finish eating. And as soon as I put the, this is true, as soon as I put the last bite of food in my mouth, the conversation was winding up and you said, yeah, I think the conversation's about good. Let's go ahead and move forward. <laughs> and you did that without calling attention to the fact that I was eating. You did that in full knowledge that I was eating and you were perfectly timed to finishing my meal. And that's the kind of experience that probably deserves a little of attention in the context of the conversation you and I are having right now, that you just knew that I was eating. Like, again, I wasn't holding it up in your face and shoveling food into my mouth. You just knew that I was eating. And then you also just knew when I was done. And Not because I stopped chewing, you just knew. But that's what we can become for ourselves when we get in touch with and in tune with all that we are. 
And that's the journey, right? And we don't start out with that capacity. We start out, you know, learning how to walk and toddle, but our consciousness is fully formed and fully developed. Little infants can teach us so much because they are in touch with all that they are. Before they're five years of age, they're in that theta brainwave state all the time. If they want an answer to a question, all they have to do is think it and the answer is there, it's present for them. And somewhere after six and seven, we start to lose that capacity for asking a question and having the answer just be present for us. And it's because we move out of that theta brainwave state into alpha and beta brainwave state. And that's our normal way of being. So what the classes do is they help you to get back in touch with that theta brainwave state so that you can access it in the middle of a busy meeting where everybody's having an argument to get brilliant ideas channeled to you. And, you know, and you can keep yourself calm, you can keep your energy balanced. So that's the purpose of the training is to have that ability to bring more into your daily life. It's not to escape, it's actually to expand. It's actually to give you the opportunity to become more. Yeah, to be more present, to be able to notice when somebody in the group that you're leading is in the process of finishing up their lunch and also when they're done. Yeah. And not because it was shown on screen and on camera, you just knew. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm not even aware of those kinds of things. So thank you for pointing it out because a lot of times I'm not even aware that I held that space, right? So, and I've had clients who've come to me and said, oh, you showed up in my dreams and I'm not aware that I do that, right? I don't have that awareness, but there are some times where I've been thinking about clients and had, you know, oh, well, I wish I could share this with them. And some part of me obviously does go do that. So that's been kind of a lovely to have happen. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. So in this Tuesday night meditation, tell me about leadership. Leadership. Basically, it's a holding space for everyone to feel like they can, you know, we talked about this, take up the opportunity to be a leader in the group if they feel so called, right? I hold the space in the Zoom room, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I want to lead all the time. I want to encourage people to step forward and say, hey, you know, this is my expertise. Do you have, you know, let's talk about this and I would love love, love, love that, to have people coming into the group and say, hey, you know, can we maybe do this? We did some shaman CDs a couple weeks ago or last week, I think, and those were really, really powerful. And the shaman energy is very different energetically than some of the other energies that, like with the Monroe, there's lots of different CDs that we can listen to, lots of different exercises. But basically, it's just, I kind of, do what I think most people would like to hear. And so that's kind of the choice is mine. But I do ask for input. I ask and say, hey, if there's something you guys want to explore or if you want to, please, you know, send me a note. And I very rarely get those, but that's okay. You know, I love it when I do. When somebody feels called to take up the mantle of leadership and move the group forward, 
What does that feel like? It feels like I've helped to create a space where they feel safe to do that. So I love that. It's actually empowering. It's actually saying, you know, I want to make room for everybody's brilliance because that's what we all want to do. We all want to be loved and appreciated, but it's not like you want to have to carry the load all the time either. It's like, you know, let's share this. Let's be creative on how we move forward as a team and as a group and as a community, right? So, and I see that happening on lots of different levels with lots of different communities. Right. And when they start merging, because you can be part of this community and also part of this community, and you can take some of the ideas from this community and share them with this. And as a result, there starts to become a resonance. And it's like in an orchestra, right? You have all the different instruments playing all their different parts and they all have their own specific music. But wow, when they're really like, in the zone, <laughs> the orchestra, that, I mean, I've had listening to music where you feel the energy, you know, like the hair standing up on your body because they are all in that zone and that's artistry. That's, you know, that's artistry. So <laughs> that's amazing. So what I'm hearing is that when somebody feels called to lead, and because you specifically and intentionally make sure that they feel free to do so when they're called. Yes, yes. That's music. It is. And it's also that community, right? It's also the norms and people starting to understand that, yeah, that's okay. You don't have to worry about, you know, taking my limelight. I'm, <laughs> I don't care about the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, there's lots of times where I'd rather not be the one that's having to have that. So yes, if someone else wants to come in and say, hey, can we talk about this? Please, you know, let's share from that place. Good leadership is music. There's a <laughs> quote right there. <laughs> wow, thank you. Um, so as I wrap up an interview, typically I ask three questions. Okay. They're my favorite three questions. Question number one, remember there are three questions. Question number one, for the people who have been inspired by you today, what's the one best way for them to reach you? Well, my website's my name, bethhaley.com and they can send me an email from there and or they can come to one of my Tuesday night meetings which they're on Calendly and I think they're on my website as well so you can link up to the Tuesday night meetings. The Monroe Institute, I'm on their website as an outreach trainer so if you want to look at the Monroe Institute and contact me from there that's also where I'm available or you know they can get my information from you and I'm happy with whoever you want to share my information with Lucas. So. Anyone that you feel guided to share my contact details with, I'm happy to help in your community in any way that feel you might feel I might benefit the community. So. Second question. It's my curveball question and you don't get to not answer it. Okay. <laughs> if there was one question you wish I had asked, what would that one question be? 
Hmm. I guess what was my most profoundly changing experience? What was my most profound? Oh, that's a good one. So tell me, what is your most profoundly changing experience? <laughs> I guess it's one that took place over a few courses that I did at Monroe. It was a piece of it showed up during one of the week-long classes, and then another piece showed up during a second week-long class, and then the final piece showed up during the William Billman class. So do you have time for me to share the whole sure. series? So yeah. when I went and did Lifeline, which is basically about doing what they call soul rescue, which is sometimes, and it doesn't happen often, but sometimes people don't recognize that they've passed. And in one of the exercises where I went to do that, I found this little six-year-old girl in the dirt. And as I picked her up, she disappeared into me, which was very unusual. I you know, it didn't make any sense to me. And I went home and I even called my dad and I said, dad, did something happen to me when I was six? You know? And he said, no, not that I could think of, you know, you didn't really have any accidents or anything. So I just let it sit there and left it. And then in timeline, which was another class that I'd gone to take, which is about exploring past and future timelines that you can go through the consciousness experience to explore. I was with the teachers of the class and they were doing a thing in the lab where they hook you up to a computer and the computer reads your brainwave state and they sort of lead you to this time and I was guided to go to a time in about 16th century India. And so I did and during the experience I was shown that I was a disabled Indian child who'd been left in an orphanage and it was begging for food on the streets and that was my life experience and I you know I, I had this experience of feeling you know the humility of being in that life of you know why didn't someone care why didn't someone you know try to help with my consciousness now it was there was a lot of sorrow and sadness like how could people just walk by and not? And they truly don't see. They, people walk by that all the time and truly don't see it. It's not even picked up by the conscious part of their brain, I think. And so in the, what they did the resolution part of it, it suddenly occurred to me about that six-year-old little girl that I picked up in the Lifeline program and she disappeared into me. And she said that when she did the resolution, she'd never seen it before where it went from like, you know, 16% resolution to over 90% resolved. But it was because I'd remember the experience of picking up that child in Lifeline and bringing her into me. And so that's what resolved that lifetime, if that makes sense. So we accumulate experiences throughout all of our lifetimes, right? All of our previous. And so they become, each lifetime builds on the previous one and it creates your being is in the next one, right? And as you do the circle, right? As you come in and do another and another, there's things that your soul says, okay, well, I'd like to work on this this time, or I'd like you to work on that particular understanding of, you know, so each lifetime builds and you gain experience. And so someone who's had, you know, 300 lifetimes wouldn't have the same 
awareness of circumstances and stuff as someone who might have had 1200 lifetimes, right? You could see the discrepancy, right? So, and we're in this amazing earth school with people who've had anywhere from, you know, zero lifetimes to thousands, right? And so there's this vast ability range within people. And so when we get indignant and upset about why don't they just understand that? Well, maybe they just haven't had the number of experiences that your consciousness has had. Their consciousness is at a grade six level, yours is at a grade 12. Would you ever say to a grade six or a grade one student, why don't you understand grade 12 math? No, but we don't see that as most people, we don't get that's the case. And so we get indignant or upset. Well, why wouldn't they understand that, you know, you just, you don't stare at someone or you don't, whatever it is, you know, and we get offended and there's no need for any of that angst. <laughs> if you just understand that everybody is doing the best they can with what they've accumulated so far on the consciousness stream. Wow. Thank you for sharing. So the third piece of that experience happened when I did William Buhlman's, you know, the afterlife process. And I got to actually experience the end of that child's life and being aware of being the consciousness of the cart driver who had numerous children of his own and saw the pitifulness of this poor child and the only thing he could think to do and the most loving thing he could think to do was to run over the child with his cart to end her suffering because he couldn't help her any other way. And I did discuss this with some of the people and they said, well, you know, that really wasn't loving, but I felt his heart because I was present in his consciousness as well as the consciousness of the child. And so that was kind of like the final piece of it, right? It's his intent wasn't to hurt her. His intent was to stop her suffering in the only way he knew he could do it. And no, I mean, that would be horrific in, in this lifetime. There's so many other things that are available, but I don't think in 16th century India, he could have taken another child into his household without starving his own children. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that was even an available solution for him. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the most profound experience that I've had, but it, it did take, you know, some time for it to all reveal and unveil it and show itself, so. Talk about pulling pieces together, huh? <laughs> you did say your gift was to pull together disparate pieces and, and make a whole. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Just know that you are in the exact perfect place that you need to be for your own spiritual growth, whatever that might be, and do the best that you can to keep Earth School, you know, as loving as we can possibly make it for each other because, you know, 90% of us are coming back here for another go-round and so you know, if we can have Earth School be, you know, a healthier, happier environment, that's better for all of us. So anything that we can do that in our realm to create that is worthwhile doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> thank you, Lucas.
Thanks for joining us this week on Elements of Community. Make sure to visit our website, elementsofcommunity.us, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.